Welcome back, Callan listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 50. Cal, we just saw a trial pass with Robinhood CEO Vlad and an individual investor. And a lot of questions came up about whether or not that specific brokerage was acting fair and what the situation was with GameStop, with Melvin Capital and all these parties. And I wanted to ask if you had a chance to watch any of the trial or maybe catch some news clips and what your thoughts were on what happened. I haven't had a chance to watch any of the trial with Congress, but I know that there's quite a lot of pressure on Robinhood, as well as some of the other participating parties in the matter of the GameStop story. So the thing is with Robinhood, as we covered before, Robinhood is known for not charging any commissions on the customers. So technically, how do they make their money? They make money either from cash deposits, from the funds that get deposited into Robinhood by people like you and me, and then they can make interest off that money. But basically, there are some brokers that can make money based off of adding liquidity to the market, meaning that you get paid a certain amount of money by the exchange, depending on which route you use. And that money could be used to cover some of your costs or to generate income. It's a very, very small amount per share. But if you're a broker like Robinhood, you go through millions of orders a day, that could mean something. And the other thing is they can make their money off of the order flow. So they would effectively sell that order flow through Citadel. And they would make, I've read somewhere, I think it's around for a $20,000 trade I think they make around $5 on that trade where other brokers would make something like 10 cents to 15 cents on that same trade. So they do make a lot higher returns on the order flow than some of the others. And generally that hasn't been a problem from the retail investor point of view until now when it works as a big disadvantage to them. It really seems to be quite messed up from my personal opinion because you and I saving money on commissions doesn't really mean anything anymore. It means that I'm the product and not the customer. So if that's the case, then I don't want to be there. I'd rather pay commissions personally and get the service that I deserve because ultimately I don't want it being taken advantage of for the inconvenience of the bigger players there. So they've been under pressure. I think one of the Senates have proposed that Robinhood should pay back the retail investors for their losses in GameStop and the other stocks that were involved. I don't think personally that will happen or if it's even feasible. Just no way to properly trace exactly when they would be entering or exiting and how much each person would get. It just shows that an idea of making a product available for the general public, making investing something feasible to everyone, which was a very noble and very exciting idea. And I still think that there are merits to that, but it does come at its cost. And now it makes you wonder whether a more of a traditional system like the other brokerages is probably the better way to go. Yeah, I can't have a fully weighted opinion because it is true that a face value, at least the idea of Robinhood is quite compelling, which is democratizing investing and the secret, I suppose, that is looking to be revealed. There's an inquiry into whether or not there was a conflict of interest between Robin Hood and some of the larger funds. And it's so dirty because of that involvement of Citadel buying order flow and 
directly bailing out Melvin. And I guess in the discovery process, we'll find out in the future if there were some phone calls made. And if that's the case and Robin Hood didn't look after the retail guys and gals and just try to cover their biggest customer, then I think that discredits Robin Hood entirely. And it puts everyone in a difficult situation. I think that's where we have to see. I've heard the arguments said over and over, but the ones that stood out most to me were more transparency for brokerages, whether it's what kind of position funds are taking. I know a lot of modern funds like Jack Dorsey's fund, he pledged a billion dollars and he put it in a Google Sheet document on Twitter. So I like that strategy. It's just more transparency and in the interest of making the world better, let's go under the assumption that life's not a zero-sum game. So there doesn't have to be a loser for every winner. And how does the whole world get better at something? I would say teach everyone and learn and try and share information. And I think that model that you mentioned where there's skimming off the top in terms of order flow gets dangerous because it really is tough to say, I'm going to look after you when I'm making money off you. And no one really thought it was a problem until it was. And just to see the market stopped on certain tickers, I was in shock that that's even possible. So it's definitely still playing out, but I don't think the dynamic between retail investors and the markets will be the same. I wanted to pose the question of where do we go from here? What is the ideal way for retail investor and broker relationship? Because that's what I think most people are. Most people just want to log in and try and learn and try and take some trades, put in some investments, and that is the goal. So I heard what you're saying about commissions versus no commissions. And why I wanted to talk about it as well was because we've talked about it before, how brokerages have gone to commission-free. And now, months later, we see the implications in a huge way. So I've heard this said about Facebook before. So take someone who's selling your data, like Facebook, to advertisers and monetizing every aspect about your life. And the question about that is, can I have an ad-free experience if I pay $5, $10 a month and times that by how many billion users? Let's say Facebook starts to make billions of dollars a month in subscriptions. So it is an interesting topic. I think there's a clear opportunity here for a new brokerage to emerge. And it's why I love the idea of entrepreneurship because I will give Robinhood credit that initially, so I'm going to go under some assumptions, which is they did not have nefarious intentions at the beginning. And if you go under the storyline that they don't, and they're going to try and recover from this, what's the best approach? And we do need some discovery process if there was any back-end dealings. But I would like to say that how can we fault entrepreneurs entirely when all we talk about is learning and growing and not having the answers? How can we crucify the very thing we uphold when all we talk about is it's okay to not know everything, it's okay to try things, and all of a sudden one company's hanging out to dry. And that's why I would also look on the flip side, which is, was Robinhood the scapegoat? Were there other brokerages involved, which it sounds like there were, and maybe these brokerages had different restrictions into trading, but the whole question still comes down to transparency, which is the best way I've heard it put. How can we make sure it doesn't happen again? How can we look into what happened? And these are all good points, which is what is the right way? 
Cal, if you had to make a brokerage today and you had unlimited capital, unlimited talent and resources, what would you envision as the perfect platform to use on your end? It's difficult to say exactly just because I don't know entirely. I have an understanding of how brokerage firms make their money, but I don't know how much of it they would be making depending on how large their assets under management would be. But assuming none of that is an issue, I think I'll be in line with a lot of what most brokerages have been doing lately. I'll be charging commission-free on stocks. I would be charging commission on options and fees on margin. And perhaps I would set commissions on certain price points of certain stocks. So for example, if I do see something with more volatility or is more for speculative play, from the get-go, that would be set before the retail investor would sign up with the brokerage. They would know what kind of stocks would charge certain commission fees. So for example, we can set something in the lines of if the implied volatility of a certain stock is at a certain point, then that implies high risk. And then there would be a fee of maybe 50 cents or a dollar on each trade, just an arbitrary number for now, but something within those lines. So because there's a risk of high volatility with the stock, like GameStop, if you want to trade this, then we charge you a dollar on each trade you take, whether to enter or exit. So the end user would say, okay, you know what? I'm willing to pay that fee. Some number that would be set up initially, even before they signed up, it would be shown on the commission plan or on the fee structure on their website that these are the things that would have the criteria of charging certain commissions. And that way, if the end user ends up taking that trade, they will trade it as normal like everyone else, but there would be a fee on that if it seems to be a problem on the broker's side. Because like you said, I find it hard to believe that Robinhood came into the game with bad intentions in the first place. They do offer no commissions, but they have to make money in order to survive. And one way to make money is through order flow. And in this particular scenario, it seemed to bite them back. Up until this point, we haven't heard many people complaining about them selling the order flows to other hedge funds. But now it is a problem. Up until this point, it wasn't. So I would think something within those lines. In a typical trading environment, I would think stick to what most brokers would be doing. Commission-free on the stocks, commissions on, for example, derivatives like futures or options, and fees on margin. And you can also set some commissions if your account is below a certain amount. For example, if you only have $5,000 or less, then you would charge you a dollar per transaction. That's not necessarily beneficial, might not be attractive, but that might reduce the gambling side for some traders that might be taking the market. And I'm only saying that in the sense of if maybe that's the reason why Robinhood has been finding issues because they couldn't manage their margin requirements in time properly enough. What do you think? So I guess before I go into some detail, I just wanted to ask a clarifying question. Is the goal to charge fees on volatility to cover some risk that retail traders pose? Why even introduce a higher fee in that case? The only reason I would do that is because of the recent events that have happened. It was a margin issue and they needed to make sure that they had enough margin covered with the clearing bank. That's what they claim. So the commission itself might not be enough to cover that. But assuming there's 100,000 people or clients that you have, 
And let's use an arbitrary commission fee of $5 per trade each trade. So to get into a position is $5. To get out of the position is another $5 on something with high volatility. So 100,000 times five, that's 500,000 one way. And some people will be making multiple trades in and out. So they'll take a position and then add to that position and that can add up quite a lot. So that's one. And the other thing is actually not because the brokerage to make money, but it could be off-putting for the investor thinking, you know what, I don't have a large enough account. Maybe I shouldn't trade. If this message came up to me, that means there's quite a high risk. I'm not just jumping in it because I can. But if you want to, you have the option, but you have to pay a premium for it, which is the fee. Let's say you decide to buy something like Coca-Cola, which is very low volatility, very low beta, doesn't move much relatively speaking, low risk in terms of stocks, then you don't charge any commission. If you want to trade something as volatile as Tesla, but there is a period where Tesla is not being very volatile, it's just moving normally and the implied volatility has been low, then you don't charge any commission. And maybe it could fall for under certain criteria. Maybe the market capitalization of the company, it's low, that could cause a increased volatility or a certain beta, which is basically how the stock moves in comparison to the overall market there's a fee structure there. And again, I'm only saying this in light of what happened recently. So the ins and outs could be worked out, but I think for 80 to 85% of the time, this would not be an issue. So for example, if I wanted to get into GameStop and all the other brokers around the world have limited trading on these tickers. So if maybe you were one of those brokerages that said, listen, you can trade whatever you want, but there's a fee because we're taking quite a lot of risk. So it's something relatively nominal to you, but it's sending a message. Yeah. I would definitely take a page out of Robin Hood's book in terms of UI design and ease of use, at least from what I've seen online, because we don't have access to it in Canada, but I would definitely make sure it's easy to use. My biggest dissatisfaction with the brokerages I use has been UI in terms of the different ones I've tried. So that would definitely sway my decision for someone to use it. I think what I would look at is if you're going to democratize investing, I would make commissions to match the larger funds. So as your account size grows, I think you clearly outlined the point too. Small account sizes typically pay higher commissions and being the size of Walmart, once you're large enough, you can negotiate pretty much anything in any business. So I may start a platform to start retail hedge funds. And maybe in order to get the buying power of $5 billion, I would start a team of people and give them a reduced commission if they went through certain courses. So I think part of democratizing investing is to educate. And I think Robinhood had mentioned that too. So it's not a unique idea, but put it into practice. So give free schooling, free YouTube videos, free course content towards learning. And I've seen this on Coinbase, which is you can learn about crypto and you actually get paid in the form of crypto. So you'll get maybe one or a piece of a coin just for watching a video. And these videos covered the style of technology, what's unique about them. I thought that was quite interesting because you're getting paid to learn. You're getting paid on a micro scale. It's the total opposite model of paying $100,000 a year, quote unquote, to go to a U.S. college. And I think the goal would be to make it accessible to more than just North America, make it accessible everywhere. And I think 
the company that takes this seriously is the one that will be ahead and can build a brand around teaching and learning. And then it's essentially a reverse commission. So find a way to pay people to get educated. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe teaching personal finance is more important than investing. So you learn the rules and you don't have to trade on margin. And if you do, you're in a select group. So you join the retail hedge fund of margin traders or options traders, and maybe there's a monthly fee for that. So if I was making a million dollars a year trading options and I was good, would I mind paying $50 a month, $100 a month? No. If the quality was superb, if I did not have a disadvantage to high frequency traders, if I didn't have a disadvantage to hedge funds. So I would explore that. I would explore what does true democratization look like? What does a true education system look like? How can it be sustainable? And maybe cryptos, there's some involvement there because there's so many coins that are being created. And I think the only way that model seems to work is some kind of token appreciation. So these coins go up in value and they're digital so you can make them out of nothing. They don't really cost anything. And all of a sudden they become valuable. And that's, I think, the interesting part of economics that people can explore and putting aside things like food or physical goods. I think in the digital realm, the marginal cost of coins are so small as everyone gets access to internet. I think we could rethink that model. Back to the UI thing, that's just table stakes. I think making it really easy to use is super important and I'd put it all around the world. I wouldn't just make it a classist system for only North America and the like. Very cool. I do agree there. UI is arguably the best, even though I haven't used it. But from what I see online, it seems very user-friendly and very appealing, actually. It's definitely up there. And just want to touch on the point that a counter-argument, if you like, regarding the cost of crypto, there's the argument of perhaps the cost of mining and the carbon footprint of those currencies could be a lot higher than we might think, purely because you don't see it. So with, let's say, Bitcoin, the more you mine, the harder it gets to mine what's left. So the carbon footprint, the energy consumption, and hence the cost associated with that does increase over time. But overall, I do agree with you. It's just a counterpoint that I thought worth mentioning, but it's very fascinating indeed. Yeah. I did hear something about the electricity required to mine all of Bitcoin is the size of a country. I don't know if it was Argentina or something. So that is a valid concern. I would just page Elon Musk and say, get solar panels everywhere and harness the sun. So there's always the creative aspect to solve problems, I suppose, which is what makes everything an interesting problem to work on. So if any of you out there want an idea, go for it. Get started on the next leading brokerage and keep an eye out. Robinhood is rumored still IPO, I think in April. I heard some chatter there and Coinbase as well. And Coinbase will be a $100 billion IPO last time I checked. This is all coming probably in the next three months or so. I'm a fan of both technologies. I think they both bring something unique to the table. Execution of how it's done is debatable, but I think it is all in the same realm of bringing this to the people. And if you think of ISPs who brought internet, and now we all enjoy the modern success of Amazon, Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, YouTube, all the big names and every other social platform like Twitter. I think the greatest companies wouldn't have existed without the internet or without ISPs building the infrastructure. So 
everyone likes to hate on ISPs, but they do have some value to us that is essential there. So I would still explore it, even if there's a cost. And in terms of business, I think that is the intriguing thing to think about, which is how do you grow this business? How do you develop a model that's sustainable? Both Apple and Tesla have no shame in having margins. Although I don't know Apple's margins, I know they're known to be healthy and Tesla's 20-30% margins are very known and very deliberate in the name of growing. So I think if you can get behind building a brokerage that goes to solve these issues, I think that's a worthwhile pursuit. Let us know if anyone out there wants to get started on that. We'd love to give some feedback. If you have something going, we'd love to help people grow. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. That was Methodical Millions, episode 50. If you'd like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.